Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. There is a a saying that embodies the idea of absolute and unwavering commitment. That saying is burn your boats, which is to say, when you make a decision or a commitment, there's no plan B, no escape clause, no way uh, to back out of the commitment. And my good friend, Garrett Gunderson has made a pretty bold commitment. He's made one of the riskiest moves that I've seen in a really long time. He just spent what most people would consider a fortune on training, coaching, Hollywood-level film producer and production crews and other consultants to create this one-hour comedy special primarily focused around the topic of money and personal finance. In June of 2021, I was fortunate to be invited to the live taping. It is seriously a level 10. It met all expectations and exceeded them. It's honestly hilarious. Now, before this film is actually made available, Garrett's going to be doing a multi-city tour, and it may be coming to a city near you. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Okay, so why did he do it? Why comedy? You know, I would say the taboo topics of politics and religion have a, a stepchild, which is money and personal finance. You know, the stack of cognitive biases that prevent the mind from rationally evaluating financial strategy, it's pretty thick. The exception is someone having an open mind. However, the rule is that what's familiar, what's status quo, it's to stay on that course. So Garrett hypothesizes that the the humor is a catalyst to breaking through these filters. But he's written books, three of them, one of them a New York Times bestseller. He's been in the space for over 20 years. And despite what most would consider a success, you know, his mission is to break through what keeps holding people back from living uh, a life that they truly want. He's spoken, done videos, has a pretty broad social media audience, and he's taken his message, he believes, as far as he can go. And in this three-part video podcast series, you're going to learn a few things about what he's doing and why he's doing it. So number one is, you know, how, how powerful ideas have made their way into our, our belief systems, and with really any vetting scrutiny or evaluation and how difficult it is to go back and objectively understand these beliefs without shortcuts such as humor. 
Uh, number two, you're going to learn a unique perspective uh, on wealth and what people are really after with their goals like retirement or financial freedom. And in the third episode, we're going to talk about Garrett's journey where he's put his essentially a really successful career and reputation uh, at risk and, and why he's done it and everything that has led up to this point in time and this decision. You guys are going to love these episodes. Uh, can't wait for you to experience this new content from Garrett. Uh, to learn more about his tour and if it's coming to a city near you, go ahead over to freeflow.group. That's freeflow.group. Or you can go to the show notes of this episode and the links will be there. Enjoy. Hey, taking a break from the show. Don't forget that as a podcast listener, you get free access to the financial independence calculator at thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. You see, when asked a simple question, what are you ultimately trying to achieve financially? 99% of respondents say, I want to retire someday. I was shocked a few years ago when I learned two statistics. Number one, how few people actually saved anything for retirement. And number two, of those that did save, less than 20% would ever successfully save enough and not have to keep on working. I couldn't believe it. I then realized that what people really want isn't retirement, but financial freedom and ultimately a reasonable way to get there. That's why I designed the Financial Independence Calculator. You can get access by going to thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. Now back to the show. That's what is interesting about what I've learned from you because of this pivot that you're making is when you have this humor, first off, tapping into that, you got to be vulnerable. I'm not sure if you can fake funny. Maybe you can. I don't know. But to me, like, I feel like that's the genuine person when they're funny. So number one, I think it kind of brings down those barriers. But then number two, like you're able to talk about, I mean, just comedy in general, talk about taboo things, right? right? Off limits things. The American dream right? is like the right title for that. But even if you go to like Chris Rock's stand-up routines or Eddie Murphy's stand-up routines, I mean, they talk about the like hardcore shit that you don't just like talk about at a dinner table, right? Or, right. or at a conference. Right. Without the comedy, it's like canceled. People are angry. For sure. But when there's comedy, and so I, I just think that's an interesting dynamic where, again, these experiences that you've had that have taught you about personal finance, it's a challenging industry, right? Because you're always up against belief systems. But then you figure out a way where you tapped into like you're some something genuine right. about yourself where you're able to connect with people at at a different level where they're now open to talking about, you know, what was off limits before. I wrote this uh, poem and part of it says, comedy is the answer when no other, uh, comedy is the key when no other will do. Love is the answer, but can't always get through. Satire is pointing out what we hide, but everybody already knew. And so that's kind of my summation of why comedy is so profound because they say that when you scare someone to death, they remember. I don't want to do that to people. It says it's almost as effective to make someone laugh. So if I can make them laugh and then like I was talking to my sound engineer last week, we're doing the final process of the, of the special and he goes, there's so many gut punches in this. He's like, in the special, he's like, there's just, I've never, he's like, there's a lot of gut punches. He goes, I got to be candid with you. I, when they told me what you were doing, 
I thought, how is that ever going to work? And he goes, and it's great. So it, it's cool to win over like some pretty intense critics in that world. Um, with a lot of like stature and knowledge. And, uh, I mean, some of it's not, hasn't, it's not anything to do with money. It's just a joke that happened to come out that night that I was not expecting to say it was just too funny not to include. But I think the theme is there. I think that it's going to help the masses face a topic that they've been afraid of. Well, I look at, I'll, I'll make one more comment there. Then I want to get into just some, yeah. some topics, you know, specific to the special, but also just your, your experience. But I, I'd say that. Again, as you look at, look at humor, I mean, look at mm-hmm. roasting, right? You, whatever comes to mind, it's the, when Demi Moore was roasting Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis, right? And it, it was just fascinating because that those are things that without that platform, like Never that conversation that. Yeah, does like, not take place. Right. And it's almost like society has gotten to this like superficial level, which I think we're all involved Insanely with, bad, yeah. right? Where like you have to have this, it's who you are, but then it's who you are in public. Right. There's a, and there's a joke in my special that my manager's scared of. I, I think I told you, you heard the joke because you were there, but it's, I'm, I'm talking about like kids that they don't, don't labor. Yeah. They don't need labor day off. Driving people around in an Uber isn't labor. We're going to Jamba Juice. That's typing on a Zoom meeting isn't labor. I'm like, labor, that, having a baby is labor. That's why they call it that because it's hard ass work that, that wrecks the woman's body. And ladies, you deserve it a few hours off afterwards. He's like, oh, you can't say that joke. I'm like, nah, it's, it's a joke because it's stupid that guys would say something like that or feel that way. That's what makes it funny. And, you know, it's not like I'm saying it like as a sexist, I'm saying it as the opposite. Like, how stupid are we? And that's why you get laugh out of it. But we're a sensitive society. The sensitivity, I think, is that conflict, right, between who, who we are in public and who we are internally. And I think that gap is continues to, to widen, right? So these are things. Your thoughts that everybody has, but nobody's willing to express because it would violate some sort of like, you know, stigma associated with their public personality or public profile, right? I mean, my set's pretty clean. Yeah. Because it's not made much funnier with vulgarity because I want to have reach because in my everyday life, I swear a lot more than when I'm on camera. But I'm also just thinking about like, does it really add to it? I mean, there's plenty of jokes that I remember I posted one of my comedy sets and someone was like, oh my God, this was supposed to be clean. The sexual, the sexual innuendos in here are so filthy. I'm like, yeah, I have a, I have a filthy mind. What am I going to say? Like, yeah. it's just, so I, I don't want to mute myself. I want to be able to like say things that other people can't say. And that's what makes it funny. And I also want them to remember some things that will really help them in life. But the goal is it's got to be funny first. You know, I don't, it's not just another lecture. It's like, I am truly declaring myself a comedian and based upon who's involved with the project and I think where it's going. I mean, I remember I did a practice run for a group of your, your uh, advisors and you were laying on your side at one point laughing on my insurance jokes. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is good. And that's good because I was doing a lot of Zoom at the time to prepare. So Zoom is not as fun as people in the same room as you, right? Because like you can only hear laughter one way a lot of times on Zoom. So yeah, it's it's been it's been a challenge, but a good one. So let me hit on something you did to kind of pivot the the conversation. So you said you you wanted to get through to people that to help them, paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where when we first met, there was kind of a, a sincerity and, and genuineness about you where you wanted to make a difference, right? You talked about the things that you're most 
you thought were most important for other people to, to hear. And of course, your journey led you to the point where even though you were saying the things that would help people, right, there was resistance on that kind of in- initial layer that they were not able to get past. Therefore, they weren't helped. Right. So maybe get into where you've come with your understanding of what wealth is, like what people are pursuing, and maybe unpack the why aren't people achieving levels of life that they want, especially in yeah. a society where all the information, all the books, everything's there to do it, but yet people are still stuck in a sense. So wealth to me is knowing what your win is and living by your rules and your win, not everybody else's. We lose wealth when we try to conform to society, when we try to please others at our own expense, when we buy into this notion that this is going to be a temporary thing, that we're going to give up so much of what we enjoy so that one day we can finally live a life that we can love. And the problem is those habits become who we are. So I just had this conversation today with someone that I said, I'm leaving social media. How are you going to do business? I'm like, there was business before social media. There will be business after, but social media is not part of my win. It's not part of my wealth. I don't want to have digital assets where how I'm viewed is based upon the number of subscribers, the number of likes, or the number of comments. Because then I start thinking superficially about what would be viral or what would be controversial or what would be versus like being who I am. And so this is a weird notion, but I've, I've had kind of like a renaissance in my life where I decided hobbies were going to be as valuable as to, to my wealth as my business activities. They would be on par. They wouldn't be like beneath that. And I started taking courses on being a barista. Then I just built this, like my friend Mike Klein and I built this thing called the roast, which is a, it's got a big bougie seat and I can pull it behind my e-bike. And then, it, and then it's got a chalkboard that you open up and it's got an espresso machine you put up there. It's got a generator on it and it's got a sound system so I could roast coffee while I roast bad financial ideas, almost like jaywalking would be on the street. I could do so like, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's kind of fun. And then I became a whiskey sommelier and then I started to learn how to fish. And then, you know, I started taking classes at Traeger and. And I went uh, and shot an uh, elk with a bow. I just started doing these things that, were, that weren't really anything to do with money. They were just about my own enjoyment. So I started thinking about like, what art do I enjoy in life? What are my art forms that I would do for myself? So I write some poetry sometimes. And, and you know, like, I obviously comedy was part of that. And some of that crossed over into a business world or into a financial aspect. But the start was, Considering my life and myself valuable enough to take time for myself for no other reason than I would enjoy those moments, not because of validation by the external world. And by doing that, I feel like I could be more connected to the world versus having the world tell me what wealth is or what my win is. And so that has been really this revitalization of my life in the last few few years. And it's I feel more inspired. I feel more ability to connect with people. Like a lot of my hobbies have to do with satiating experience, either meditative experiences or satiating. And satiating experiences are how can I create conversations that lead to connection? When I'm making a latte, I'm listening to someone. And then we sit down and we have that latte. 
and we have a conversation while we sip on that latte, which prolongs that conversation. I started smoking a tobacco pipe every now and again, maybe once a week or so. Ended up doing that with my dad, who grew up Mormon. So that was a surprise that he he enjoys it. And the other day, he texted me talking about he's having some tobacco and pontificating something about life. And, <laughs> and my mom's like, oh, that reminds me of my dad. He used to smoke every Sunday. And I was like, oh, because that's a 30-minute smoke. And it's it was a beautiful artifact. And I just started to invest in hobbies. And I have this philosophy in life that I win when I play. So how do I play? I play doing comedy. I play writing like even my new website I'm writing today. I'm just I'm writing things that are funny and enjoyable that are part of that process. So I created life on my rules and on what my win is. And so I'm not trying to retire from anything. I'm not trying to run from anything. I'm no longer trying to hide from anything. And that can be difficult at times, but it's so rich and rewarding. So that's wealth. When you know your win and you're living your life based upon winning all the way along, not about arriving somewhere. So if, so that was the point I was going to make and I would say a follow-up question because mm-hmm. this is something that I think most people would resonate with. Oh, that would be nice. And they look at you, they look at others, right? That fit that persona. Mm-hmm. And and they say to themselves, well, I have to do this first in order to to do that. That's sacrifice. And yeah. unfortunately, we learn that through conversations and culture. Like, did you ever play the game of life, the board game? Yeah. The only way you win is getting a college degree in that game. That creates a subtle belief about why we have to go to college. They were played Monopoly, of course. How do you win a Monopoly? Get as many things as possible. It's a zero-sum game, winner-take-all game. And we start buying into that belief with capitalism. That isn't really what true capitalism or free market would be. It's what cronyism becomes. It's what somebody else made survival of fittest versus collaboration. And so... I'm playing games that everybody else told me to play. Go to college, get a degree, have a big business, grow that business, You know, which was always about, well, I'll take care of my health later. I'll have time for my family later. It was, those were always in the background. It was like, and then the great lie that all business owners ever tell their spouse, which is, I'm doing this for you, but it's not. It's for our own fulfillment of our narcissistic ego and, and this unfillable void of more is better and all those kind of notions that we learn in society, especially here in America. And there is merit to some of that, but there's a lot of false reward to a lot of that, especially when we're trying to prove something to other people. As soon as we try to prove something to someone else, like I was practicing my comedy set. I had a terrible night. I was on Zoom, had some people on, including someone who used to coach me in speaking. And I had some friends in a, in a dining room and there's a chef in the kitchen. It was at my friend's house and my wife's in there doing her culinary homework in the kitchen. And it's noisy and they're like, hey, how long can you be done in an hour? Well, my set's an hour and a half. The worst thing you can do is take an hour and a half in comedy and make it an hour. (laughs) The best thing you can do is go, I guess I won't share a third of my set. And I condensed it. And the guy said, well, you really sucked. And I did. That's the truth. It wasn't good. But what was really hard is not to have that be a chip on my shoulder and be like, oh, wait till I do this on on the night. I'll show you. But what I did was I waited. And a month later, I finally shared it. And he goes, dude, I... Can't believe that's the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I had an off night. Like, I definitely did. I I learned a big lesson from that. So, and a big part of the lesson was just along the way enjoying it, like not waiting for April 15th, but being like, oh, I had this set in March in Ogden at the Wise Guys Theater there, and it was like, um, it was an amazing set, and it was one of the best nights. I'm like, it wasn't that that night was only good if the April 15th was good. It was like as a standalone, that was a win. That was an enjoyment. Just enjoy that moment. Extract that moment. 
not be like, oh, I hope this goes. And like, even leading up to that night, my last line I thought was awesome. I couldn't wait to say it, but I was like, I want to enjoy every moment on that stage. And I think often in life, we're trying to get to the next moment. And it's a silly movie, but it was really a movie that impacted me. It was Click. Did you ever see it with Adam Sandler? Yeah, 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 yeah. He could fast forward through anything. Yeah. And I said, you know, he's old. He missed everything. He missed everything. And I think that most people would do that. If they could. Without yeah. proper perspective. Because I think that we've learned that pain is something to avoid. But what I've learned is pain is part of the process. And it's a gift, even if we don't like the wrapping. It's a tap on the shoulder. And if we're willing to go through it with love and compassion, on the other side of that pain is always connection and lesson. And so to me, I've learned how to, like this morning, my wife, she woke up early. I'm like, what's, what's up? She's like, I'm just really sad because I'm trying to get our son in this camp. But you know, he's got to have certain vaccinations. But my son had a really adverse reaction to a vaccination back in the day. So he's not up to speed on certain tetanus and polio, which I don't even understand why he, ha- why he would have to have that. And she's like, so I don't think they're going to let him in camp. And he's struggling with friends. I was like, my thing today was like, oh, if you need to call the camp and have me on the call, I'll be on the call. But otherwise, I was doing my best not to get sucked into like thinking that I have to make her happier. That's my responsibility, that there's something wrong with her being sad. And <laughs> she was able to get a hold of camp and they're going to let him in. And all this, but I think that even what she did, I do a lot of times, which is we suffer the future. We start thinking about what's coming up and we start thinking what could go wrong with that. And we start suffering today for something that hasn't even happened. And 99% of what we worry about never is reality. Uh-huh. The stuff that are really the biggest problems are things we could have never predicted. And I feel like we're going to have the tools and we're going to have the lessons through those, even if it is painful. But the people that struggle the most are the ones that try to avoid the pain, hide from the pain, run from the pain, go around the pain when going through it is the only way. What's interesting, I, I turned back to recently just... This isn't a very funny podcast. No, I'm not just yet. kidding not about yet. life. We're, we're setting it up. Fine. There's a punchline There's a punchline coming. Uh, but there... Maybe my comedy's painful. <laughs> no, it's actually not painful. It's really good. You know, I was, I was reading, you know, meditations by uh, Marcus Aurelius and and... The definition of a meaningful life hasn't changed at all since then, but yet the world has become more complex. And I think it's been more difficult for people to have those moments of, of meaning, right? Because, because we are better at faking things now. We have tools to make things look and feel real. That so it makes real. it even more difficult. Filters and social media. Editing. And editing. And, you know, like, I don't know how to describe it without sounding too crazy, but I'll just say it. The morning of the commentary. I'm in acupuncture, just relaxing. I have this moment of clarity. I felt like it was God. <laughs> just say, hey, there's nothing to worry about. I got you. You've got this. When you make mistakes tonight, it's part of the process. Just make them. It'll be okay. So you're in show two. I didn't make as many mistakes in show two as I did show one. But show one, I just forgot where I was at one point. This girl, Trevinia, was laughing so hard. I got distracted because she thought the word caveman was so funny. So I kept saying caveman. But then at the end, I go, does anyone know where I'm at? And everybody just started laughing because I'm just making the mistake, right? And then my manager yells out, yeah, this landing. And, and so then I picked it back up. And then in the second show, though, the mistake I made is, remember the tooth bunny bit? I was meant to say oh, yeah, 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 the Easter yeah. bunny. I said the tooth, tooth bunny. bunny. Yeah. That stayed in the special. It was a mistake, but it was funnier. Or I talked about <laughs> the Easter bunny no wonder we have a problem with pedophilia. 
we have a stranger in a costume. Here, kids, go to him and he'll give you things for free. And then I go, that reminds me of a story with my wife. And everybody starts hysterically laughing because the last word was pedophile. But what it was supposed to be referencing was free. Because she went to spring break when we're dating and said, oh, I don't need any money because the guys are super nice. They'll give you drinks for free. Oh, for free. You know, and so it's like those were accidents. Those were mistakes that actually made it funnier. And the fact that I went in with this knowing I was able to just be in that moment without fear. Like I didn't tense up. I laughed with you guys. I rolled with the punch. And I think that in life, we try to control uncontrollables and it creates unnecessary stress and worry. And that worry starts to become who we are instead of who we really are. And so everybody gets a dumbed down, lesser version that's not present because of how we handle pain, because of what we think is right and wrong, and because of how we don't want to be judged. And ultimately, we don't show who we really are because we think that if we're someone else, that people will like us more. That's my estimation. I've done a lot in my life, right, to... Because I don't think you can you can completely avoid that, right? It's part of our makeup. It's I'm part still of our worried about DNA. dumb stuff all the time. Yeah. I'm just more aware of it. More aware of it. I didn't, like in the and past, I just stay in that moment. Yeah, I, I like long. know I have too many windows open that are running in the background, <laughs> slowing the software down, you know? <laughs> and I can be like, why am I worried about that? Well, let's have a conversation. I'm just going to call that person. Hey, this person didn't text me back. Oh my God, do they not like me? Now I'll just call them <laughs> instead of sitting there and like worry about it. And... I always think, well, maybe they have other things going on, or maybe there's a lot happening in their life. And if they don't like me, that's up to them. <laughs> All right. So let's, what you're walking on the side of the road and stranger, and you have 10 minutes to talk to them. What do you tell him? Right. Someone that is, we're all human beings. We all essentially suffer from the same yeah. programming in a sense, right? We're all part of the experience where stuff happens and it's like, and then we respond to it in very similar, similar ways. And it's just this never ending pattern that we get stuck in. So you're talking to someone for a brief period of time. What do you say? What would life be like if we just trusted ourselves more? What would life be like if we listened to our intuition? Intuition's such a gentle nudge. It's an inner knowing. It's a gut feeling or a light feather to the face. It's super easy to ignore, but the more we ignore it, the more we have unrest even depression, and we succumb to scarcity. Now, intuition doesn't always lead us towards the easy path. That's the thing. I mean, that's why we like to ignore it sometimes. Sometimes it leads us down a challenging yet rewarding path. And sometimes because we think that we're too alone or we think that we're not capable or we, it hasn't been done before, we, or when I say we, I could be really good at talking myself out of any of this. I mean, look, I had surgery November 3rd. 2020 hernia surgery. And I mean, I was in my bed for several days and like I was eating gummies for pain management to go to sleep. I didn't want to take any opioids and I'm not, I don't do good with weed at all. Like it just makes me disconnected and I can't even formulate good sentences. And so I just found myself being like, why do I think I could be a comedian? This is stupid. This is dumb. Cause I, that time I was like, I think I'm going to do a special. I'd written it out like, this is 2020, early 2020. 2020. Okay. November 3rd is the surgery date. Oh, wow. And so I turn on the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling that was done by Judd Apatow. And it's just him talking about his doubts of ever being good enough to be a comedian and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay. And he has some really cool like things he wrote in his journal, which some reminded me about things I've written in my journal. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I was, can you walk down the stairs because of the surgery and all this kind of stuff. And then November 15th was when I actually called 
comedian Marcus and said, Hey, I want to write this. Do you want to help me? He said, Sure. I think we could write a special by January. And then I'm on Barry Katz, my manager's industry standard podcast. He announced I'm going to do it April 15th because <laughs> I said I was considering it. So all of a sudden, a brand new comedian is going to film an hour special that I started writing November 15th and I'm going to perform April 15th, where most professionals are going to take a year to do this. So I'm on Zoom five days a week, just testing this out. You were there for one of them. You know, I'm, I'm like walking and reciting and rowing and reciting and, and rewriting and find, it's like, and it worked out great, but it was uncomfortable. I had to face so many demons of insecurity, so many demons of how to like be direct with people, how to ask for what I really want, how to allow a vision to expand beyond my comfort zone, how to make changes that were not like, how to like say no to things so I could truly focus on this, how to allow other people to support me. There were so many things that had to go on for that to occur. And that was the most growth. I mean, who I am from January 2020 to who I am today, I feel like I have to just reintroduce myself to the world from who they knew in the past, because I'm willing to listen to intuition. I'm willing to do the harder things and process through pain. I'm convinced that on the other side is love and connection. I feel worthy of love. I feel that I still have insecurities, but I still love myself, even if I'm imperfect. And I've adopted a statement perfectly imperfect as part of my life. And that like, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer, but I do have the question. And my question at all times, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, is what would love choose? What would love do? How would love show up? And I used to think that what was most unique about us was like our abilities, because that's maybe a strategic coach concept. But I think what makes us most unique is how we show love, how we express love, how we receive love. I'm like, what if I mastered that? What if I invested in that? Not in all the other stuff about more, but how to show up as love, how to choose love when it's difficult, how to choose love when I want to pout and be a victim, how to choose love when someone I feel has wronged me or said something negative about me. It's like someone I really look up to when I said, I don't want to be part of this anymore, of something I was on the board. And he's like, well, you know, that's really going to impact us. I'm like, I know, but you'll figure it out. But what am I going to do? You've always found a way. Like in the past, I'd have been like, oh, you're right. Let me do it, even though I don't feel like I have the time or capacity or that I don't feel like this is my calling because I want to appease you. I was like, hey, we can still be in relation. You can even go tell people I'm an ass and I'll be okay because I'll just keep showing up as love. And part of the time that is having clear boundaries. And so that's a long 10 minutes. I guess it's a 10 minutes of what I would tell someone. Yeah. And, that, and I think, you know, what I took from that is, is the, the question you ask yourself, especially when you're experiencing fear or anxiety or stress, right? I think we all have... All this shit's easy when times yeah. are good. Yeah. It's really, I would say like the, the primal part of us, right? That shows up when things are not how we expected. And it's number one, it's the awareness of it. But then number two, it's not relying right on just those carnal instincts, right? It's right. strategically designing a way in which you can ask yourself different questions and catch yourself, then obviously be more, more present and enjoy that, enjoy that moment. And I don't know how you feel about this, but the way I feel about this is I have the ultimate testing ground in having a wife and having kids because I can be really neutral about things in business and not take much offense to it or not have it drag me in to drama or a lot of emotion. But if I don't get my way with my wife, I can find myself wanting to pout. I could 
find it harder to just ask for forgiveness and immediately or to just not be right in the moment and just listen. Like it, that is the ultimate place because I've shown her more of who I am than I've shown anyone else in the world. There was a time where I believed if she didn't love me, I wasn't lovable because I've shown her so much. And then when I recognize that was a limiting belief, I'm able to even give her more love without the fear of is it reciprocated or what if she doesn't like this about me? And uh, I mean, I joke that this is like the 26th version of who she's been married to. I'm like the only woman that's buried, been married to more men with one marriage is Danielle White, Garrett White's wife. That dude has been, he's on version 35, I think. Like he's even faster than I am. Because I, you know, because he just goes like full steam ahead on any new idea. That there's so much. I mean, he's not like that now. Just the the care that you and I. uh, But it's one of those things where I hope that that's what we all pursue, right? Because it's, I don't think there's this end, right? To our becoming, right? It's like a, it's like a never end. It's weird. It's like you have you have so much brilliance and meaning when you're living in present moments because that's really mm-hmm. what all that exists. But it's this constant awareness that you can continue to iterate and improve and be mm-hmm. better. Not to take away from you know how you are right now, but be even better. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website thewealthstandard.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.